Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. Hey, thank you. I was going to tell Carl I have not received my paycheck yet. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to get one. Uh, One of my favorite phrases, uh, and I was thinking about after the weekend telling Carl, hey, you, you let this horse out of the barn, so we got to see where it goes. So here we are, big picture of me. It's not actual size. This is more actual size, but uh, here we are, right? Uh, so I'm the last week of the series on what would Jesus undo, and my topic is lies about others. And the irony is not lost on me that a lot of you, probably most of you, don't know me. And so you're probably formulating your own thoughts and ideas and who is this guy? He seems he's tall, probably good at basketball. Mm-mm. He's a snappy dresser, but my wife buys my clothes. <laughs> we'll talk a little more about that later, but uh, it's funny to me that that's kind of how we start out with, when we meet somebody is just based on what we see, but I want to help you a little bit, uh, give you some actual information so you can really have a good concrete foundation on what, who I am. Um, I'm from a Norwegian family. My, my grandfather was the first person who was born here, and all that means is you have to tell me everything twice. And so if you introduce me, please repeat your name several, or introduce yourself to me, repeat your name several times, because it's gonna take a lot of while for me to get it. Um, I'm from the Northwest. My wife and I moved here uh, just last December. If you know anything about the Northwest, you're probably thinking, oh, this guy's got really, really good politics and things are going so well up there, he probably is gonna steal a TV and burn something (laughs) and call it a day. But that's really not what's gonna happen. We uh, paid for our TV and I don't like burning things. The worst part of of all, and I even hesitated to put this in my notes because I'm pretty sure Foursquare bylaws have something in there about general contractors speaking in front of a Sunday morning service. And I assured Carl that uh, we'll be on time and under budget, and it uh, should only take a couple weeks. <laughs> People assume things. <laughs> yeah, so it's good. Uh, but the point of all this is that we're going to talk about lies about other people and what it is that we see in others that kind of tend to distract us from what God's purpose is. And the thing about these lies is that they're pretty sneaky. Uh, a lot of the times we don't even understand what's going on, and that's, that's by design. They're supposed to be that way. And they tend to appeal to our selfish nature. You know, we we like to see things in other people that would maybe build us up or maybe help us feel better about ourselves. And we also, we want to associate. And this all is, it sounds very surfacey, but if you take a look in the mirror and really examine your life, I'm sure you'd find that we're all guilty of it. But we like to associate with things that are beautiful and and things that are honorable and, and, uh, you know, people that have resources that we can use and bounce ideas off and all these types of different things. And that's kind of the, the biases that we assume in life in general. And it, I'm not saying this to be condemning or anything, but when I was preparing this message, I was pretty convicted about this because I don't think that that's the way Christ wants me to view people that I come in contact with on a surface level, right? And I came across this thing called cognitive biases. And uh, I'm not 
anywhere near a psychologist. I can read, and so this is why these are in here. But there's one called the false consensus effect. And this is something that happens when we're either looking for relationships or in a relationship or something like that. This one, the false consensus effect, is that people have a tendency to overestimate how much other people agree with what they're doing or what they're saying and thinking that other people share your opinion on controversial things. I could name a couple of controversial things that are happening right now. I don't think I need to. We could probably all center on a few of the same things. But surrounding ourselves with people that agree with us is something that we just kind of tend to naturally do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right about you. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm wrong. It's just the way that I approach thing, things. Another one is this confirmation bias, which means that I'm approaching you and I want to hear things from you that I agree with. I want you to hear, I want to be able to say something to you and have you go, uh-huh, that's right. Because we want to feel smart. And friendships and stuff, they get separated by some pretty crazy things. An example of this is I could stand up here and tell you, and it's the absolute truth, that Dodge makes the best truck. And it's true, they do. And I can prove it because I own one. And if you disagree with me, well, I guess we can't be friends. <laughs> but that's the confirmation bias. Another one is called the halo effect. Meaning my initial impressions of somebody, when I see somebody, my initial impressions of them are going to influence what I think and what I say and how I react to them. And a good example of this is a person who goes into the doctor's office. You know, the doctor is going to look at them and based on their background and everything, they might make an assessment before they even have the medical charts, you know. And if you're a doctor in here, I'm not saying that that's you. I'm just saying that would be a tendency a lot of the times because we do it. I mean, I do it with people. The halo effect, it's kind of the effect of, you know, if somebody is attractive, they must be good, right? I can be friends with them because there's somebody that's worth hanging out with. Or if they're confident, then they're competent. I've been, people have been telling me all the weekend, man, Jeremy, you seem so confident. <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> I appear confident, but I'm not always confident. And confident does not necessarily equal competent all the time. Or things that, a hard thing is if, if a person is poor, well, they must have made some unwise decisions in their life, you know? If their car is broken down, they must not know what's going on. Or if their shoes are ratty or whatever it is, we just base our initial impressions on people based on what we see. But they're all lies, and they're all based on this what is beautiful is good principle. And the things that I can see that I like are worth investing in. And it's all just these lies. Then there's... Another thing I came across that there's some people in the world, and this is based on lies that I see that are beyond reaching, that I've fallen too far off the edge of the cliff, right? That we can't get to them, so I'm going to move my, my uh, energies and intensities over to someplace else, leaving that behind because it might just be too much work or it might cost too much, it might take too much time, it might adjust my schedule more than I want it to be adjusted. And the only thing I say to that is nobody's beyond Jesus' reach. And if you were here for the, the baptism a few weeks ago, there were some awesome, awesome stories of Christ turning people's lives around. Not based on the lies that we saw, but things that happened to people and then Jesus got a hold of them and instantaneously the 180 degree turn happened and they became followers of Christ. And the last one, well, the only thing I would say to that is uh, I had a youth pastor back in the day uh, when I was younger, obviously. And uh, 
he looked at me and he said, hey, you know what the first thing the youth pastor, that's, there was, he was the new guy and the old guy had gone out. He said, you know what the first thing I heard about you was, Jeremy? I said, no, tell me. And he's like, I heard you're a total screw off. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. And it may, be, it may have been true to some extent. But he looked at me and said, I, I think I see a little bit more in you than that. And so I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to call you up. And I'm thankful that he did because it made a difference in my life. So nobody's beyond reaching. The third thing I came across, and, and this one was super convicting to me, and uh, I had to kind of revisit my God a little bit and redefine who the Lord is because I started to uh, wonder if I was living my life under the impression that God had made some mistakes with people. That somebody, you know, and the, the thought is that why would somebody kill so many people? Or why would somebody create so much havoc in a marriage? Or why would somebody cause so much strife and pain? Surely that can't be part of God's plan. Maybe that was a mistake. Or maybe God had some kind of an advisory committee that failed him. And he, he's going back to his committee and saying, well, where were you on that one? You didn't tell me about that. But that makes God not God, right? And the conclusion I came to is that God doesn't make mistakes with people. So what's the difference then? I don't think God has ever gotten to a point where he says, ah, you know what? I'm tired. This will do. Or this is good enough. And when he created us, he doesn't look at, look at us and say, that, it'll do. That's, I think I can get some good stuff out of that person. And I, I can tell you without a doubt that God hasn't said that about you. But it's all these lies that kind of infiltrate and distract and keep us from seeing people the way that God has intended us to look at each other. Uh, Psalm, let's see, Genesis 131 says, God said all that he had made and it was very good. And this is after creation happened. He didn't say, oh, it's, that'll do. I feel pretty good about that. He said, this is very, very good. So I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, God hasn't said about me or you or the others that we come in contact with, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it worked out all right. Didn't fall apart. He has said, no, I see this. I see you. I see the people around you and it's very, very good. So then what's, what's going on in my life? It's like I said, preparing this thing was a kind of a tough road for me a little bit. As I looked at the people that I was relating to and the people that I came in contact with, why am I not more effective? Why... Why do people not come to Christ because of my witness? Because that's what the Great Commission is, right? Go and make disciples. Go out into all the world and change people's lives for Christ. So what am I doing wrong? And the, the problem is that these lies that get woven into our life all over the place, they just bump us off track a little bit. And they cause us to see things not the way God had intended them to be and distract us from what God's purpose and plan is for other people's lives. Psalms 134, verse 13 through 14 says, for you created my inmost being. I love this verse. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's pretty good to know that, right? I mean, if you believe it, if lies haven't infiltrated enough to distract you from the truth, but to know that God said, hey, I, I have a plan 
like it or not, I'm going to put Jeremy in the world, or I'm going to put Mike in the world, or I'm going to put Sue in the world, because that's what the world needs right now, and my plan for the world involves them. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take this person, I'm going to knit them together for exactly what I want them to be for such a time as this. And it's no mistake that we live in this time. And I think a lot, you know, about my kids. I have three kids. Actually, one of them's having a birthday today. He's 13, so I officially got to increase his pay. <laughs> he knows everything now. <laughs> I can't wait for him to be 20. I can take him back down a little bit. But yeah, I think a lot about my kids and it, that it might not be so easy for them to be a believer in Christ in the future. And then I'd kind of, you know, I wish that maybe it would end with me sometimes because I don't want my kids to have to deal with the struggles and the strains that are coming down the line, the lies that are being told about what it means to be a Christian, that we're, you know, bigoted or hateful or spiteful because that's what's, that's what's happening. All these lies about what believers are. And as soon as somebody finds out that you're a believer in Christ, that you're a Christian, they go, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> but it's happening all over the place. And it's just another example of a lie that distracts. And they corrupt God's creation because I don't believe for a second that God has made a mistake. Even the people that are the farthest gone, I don't believe for a second that God has said, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have made that person. Well, then how do you explain some? There's this, there's this uh, I believe it was a Liberian warlord back in the 90s, the 80 and 90s, who he wrote his testimony because he, he later became a Christian, but uh, he says, I was personally responsible for at least 20,000 deaths. When he would go into villages, it was his job to kill people in order to assert his authority. You think, man, how could that have happened? What is it that gets people to that spot? I mean, because it's a terrible thing, right? There's no doubt that it's a terrible thing. And yet here this man is, he's opened up an orphanage and he's serving kids in underserved communities, and he's saying, man, I'm just, God changed my life. I need to redirect my energies towards saving people. Because nobody's too far gone. Nobody is. But these lies, they, they change the way that we react. They change the things that we see. They allow us to look at people on the surface level. They allow us to see things that are obvious. Because human nature is, if I can see it, I can fix it. But when you're fighting this battle that's not on a physical level, it's harder to fix. And Jesus doesn't view us on that level. That's why I think it's so easy for Jesus to love us and to give his life for us because he doesn't see the outward. He sees his creation inside of us. In fact, I think that even though we're operating sometimes in a corrupted way where uh, you know, we've got this corrosive element of sin in our lives, God still views the qualities in us that he's created and the passions and the drive and the desires and stuff. And while it's misdirected, he's waiting for somebody else to intercept that lie and say, hey, that's not the road that God had for you. I appreciate who you are, but here's what God has in mind for you. And I see that all the time in construction. That's a pretty salty bunch of people. If you've ever had a house built or been around subcontractors of any kind, I usually tell people, they say, what's construction like? Oh, it's it's the last stop before jail or rehab most of the time. <laughs> but I'm in it, right? And that's the way we view it. And all these people who have these talents and abilities and stuff, they're just misguided because God didn't create them to operate that way. It's just that lies have perpetrated them and lies have corrupted it.
And there's so many stories in the Bible about God using flawed people, which incidentally is one of the things that's reassuring when you stand up in front of a group of people, (laughs) reading stories about people in the Bible like Paul, who literally was killing Christians and then wrote most of the New Testament. Or Peter, who was a salty fisherman. If you've uh, watched any of The Chosen, that guy was in trouble if this, you know, it's an artist's interpretation, but there's some interesting individuals that God chose to associate with when he came to earth, when he became man as Jesus. And what about the woman at the well? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So if you know it, this woman, she's going out to collect water and she's out there in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, right? This is found in John chapter four. The reason she's out there is not because she really enjoys a good tan, she's just bronzing or whatever. It was because she couldn't go in the morning when the other women went, women went, and she couldn't go in the evening because those people knew who she was, right? That she was a prostitute and that she wasn't worthy of hanging around that she didn't belong in that type of crowd. So she went out by herself in the middle of the day. And that's when Jesus met her. He went to the well and he knew who she was. In fact, he says in the scripture, you're you're correct, you've had many husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. But the beautiful thing about that is Jesus is sitting there with her and says, I see who you are, but that's not who I designed you to be. And by the end of the story, the woman's going back into town telling people, I I think I saw the savior of humanity. I think I saw Christ. I think I just had a meeting with Jesus who's gonna save my life. What a beautiful story that is. I was uh, in Portland, Oregon one time and uh, it was for a youth retreat. When I started, like I said, my youth pastor decided that uh, he wanted to challenge me a little bit, and so I became part of the youth staff there. And uh, there was a lot of kids, and we took about 50 to inner city Portland, which was uh, even then a little dicey to take a whole bunch of youth to, not like it is now, but we stayed in inner city Portland, and just for a relaxing time, we decided, hey, it'd be cool to have a pillow fight with some of the guys, and so we, everybody got their pillows, and it escalated quickly, <laughs> to say the least. And it's like, man, what's in your pillow? I, I feel like there may be a brick in there. And uh, one of the uh, men got hit hard enough that it upset him. And we said, hey, it's okay, this is just a game. But it had gone beyond fun, right? And he ran out of the building and was pacing outside in the middle of inner, inner city Portland. We're like, man, it's not too cool. We better get him back in there. And so my brother actually ended up talking to him. And uh, his story was, he says, I feel like I'm trying to go through life being approved and wear clean clothes, but the only thing that's in front of me is this pile of dirty shirts. He said, it doesn't matter what I try to do, I'm always wearing a dirty shirt. And he goes, that's the way people look at me, is that I'm dirty. I've got nothing to show. I've got stains on my clothes. And I was thinking about that. I was impressed with the depth of his insight, first of all, but then, thought what a shame it is that he's believed enough lies that he thinks there's no way he's going to be clean again because of the way people are viewing him. I mean, how do you present yourself to a person confidently if all you see are lies about yourself? How do I approach somebody with love if all I see is the lies before me? 
because they're there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Lies are part of our life. And the scary thing about lies is we know where they come from. Well, I have a verse for that, actually. <laughs> um, oh, shoot, shoot. We know where they come from, but the critical thing is that these lies about others have to go through me. They have to be a part of my conversation. They have to be a part of what I see in somebody before they become effective. And I don't always look at people around me and say, man, do I or can I even see them as fearfully and wonderfully made? Or am I just looking at lies? Because the truth of it is, like I've said, God didn't create people to engage in sin. He didn't create them to live a lie. God didn't make a mistake with people. I mean, his word clearly says it, that he knew us before we were formed. At the beginning of time, he put us here in this room today to draw people close to him. So I wonder if I see the hand of the creator at work in other people around me. Because it's really not easy. 1 Peter 5, 8, and this applies all throughout life. I mean, if you can get this into, into your head and into your spiritual walk, this will make a difference. But it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now you get this picture in my head of a lion with blood all over its mouth eating a gazelle carcass and just happily, contentedly ripping the thing apart. And that's the picture we get of the devil. That's the picture we get of our enemy because he's out there. And he would love nothing more and then to destroy people through just a little bit of a lie or just distract us a little bit, just bumped us off course, just a little bit to where we don't have an effective witness to somebody that's close, somebody in the cubicle next door or passing in the hallway or somebody that we can develop a relationship with. So how do I get to see past these lies? I mean, like I said before, if I can see stuff, I can fix it. And I'm kind of a mechanical person you know, the boys, my boys and I ride motorcycles and it's easy to take something apart and say, oh, there's the problem. We can put the parts together and make it run again. It's easy to fix things that you can see clearly. It's pretty tough to fix things that you can't see, that you can't get a hold of, that you can't, can't grasp. And Ephesians 6.12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, how am I supposed to fix that? <laughs> There's a big battle going on that uh, I can't see right now. But it doesn't make me less of a part of it. And it doesn't mean that it's not happening to me. It doesn't mean that I haven't been viewed as something that I'm not because of lies that have intercepted me. And it doesn't mean that you haven't been viewed that way either. It just means that there's a battle going on and there's an enemy who's trying to weave lies into all of us around us, trying to say that, hey, that person's not worth investing in. Don't waste your time with that person or that one's too far gone or I don't want to associate with that person because it's not beautiful. It's going to cost me too much. I was uh, thinking a couple months ago, Pastor Arnie, who does the Extending Grace, um, he, had a, he shared on the the mission that he's about, and one of the things he said is, you gotta be careful before you judge people that you can at least take a few steps in their shoes, right? See what their life is like. Find out where they came from. 
and try to deliver a message in spite of what our biases are. And this idea that, that Satan is roaring around like a lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to destroy. I mean, he hates the fact that we're doing our best to serve Christ. He hates the fact that people stand on the pulpit and say, reach out, find someone to deliver the message to. My personality says, oh, really, you hate that? Well, I'm going for it. (laughs) I don't want you to win. I don't want you to take other people with you. And so here we are, right? We have a group of people sitting next to you now that are here because somebody reached out to them. Maybe it was a father down the way. Maybe it was a, a friend at work. But we're all sitting here because somebody saw past the lies and reached out and made a commitment to draw people in. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, and it's because it's not me and it's because it's not you, that if we change the way that we view people and are able to look through the eyes of Jesus at people, there's no end to what could become of this ministry. There just isn't. Because it's not about me. And it's not about you, frankly. It's about us together doing the will of God, doing the work of God and trusting that he's working through us and helping us see through lies and helping us understand that these are God's created people. That yes, the person that I'm seeing, that on the outside, I would think, man, you are one messed up individual. That that's a creation of God. That that's not the road God put in front of them that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they were knit together in their mother's womb. And before the beginning of time, God put them in your path for you to do something about it. In spite of our nerves and in spite of our fears and in spite of our doubts, there's a, a, you might've heard of this group, U2, they've been around for a long time, but one of their songs, um, it has a a line in it that says, we're wounded in, wait, Injured in fear and wounded, wounded in doubt. Man, that came out really smoothly. That was powerful. <laughs> we could wipe that out of the recording maybe. And I don't know how you digitally wipe something out. I'm going to try again. Injured in fear, wounded in doubt. Yes. <laughs> but it's so true that these lies, these fearful lies that we have, they, you end up limping around halfway committed to spreading the gospel, because what if this person rejects me? Well, the Bible says they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus himself. But that doesn't lessen the need to share the gospel with people, right? And wounded in doubt, taking hits because the enemy is telling us all the time, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time, you have more important things to do. Somebody else will take that one up. And that's the convicting part for me is, I wonder, excuse me, how many people have I passed that God put in my path? And that were fearfully and wonderfully made. That maybe their story would have been written differently if I had just taken a moment. Let me collect myself here. Because <laughs> here's the truth about it. Everyone that we see, everyone that we run across, Jesus looks at them and says, see them the way I see them. 
and live with them the way I want you to live with them. And be a part of their life. Take the time to meet the people that Arnie's reaching, who don't have everything that you have, who don't have the blessings that you have. And they may not even have a problem with that, but they haven't heard the words. They haven't, somebody hasn't told them. Do you realize that you were knit together? That God had a plan for you? That you're part of God's kingdom? That he wants you? And let Jesus do a work in their life? So again, who do I choose to believe in this? What kind of a theory am I gonna apply to my life? What's gonna be my marching orders? Because I wanna stop looking at the lies that are so easy to see and fill up my life with believers. Fill up my marriage with the truth about my wife that God picked her out for me and put her in my, my path because he loved me. Not that I had some project to do to make somebody better. <laughs> I, I was uh, alluded to earlier that uh, the reason I'm such a snappy dresser is because my wife buys all of my clothes. And so if you like what you see, thank you. <laughs> if you don't, whatever, I don't care. Talk to Tracy about it. She'll tell you where to get it. But she bought me some pants uh, sometime last summer. And... Um, they showed up, I always wear 3636, more information than you need, but it's relevant to the story, so there you go. She bought me some pants, and they were 3636, and I thought, oh, cool, new pants, I like new pants. And uh, I went to put them on, and they seemed a little snugger than before. No, no kidding, this is what I said to myself. I think they must have changed their sizing machine a little bit, <laughs> because these don't feel the same as the pants I had before. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the fact that I love vitamin D, D meaning donut. <laughs> I love to eat good food. It's nothing to do with that. It's just that I think they changed. Somebody needs to make a phone call to the pants company and say, hey, recalibrate your machines. They're not fitting anymore. <laughs> and the point being, I apply so much grace to myself in a lot of areas without looking at what's true about my life than I do to people beyond me, to people outside of me, right? I take something that, you know, I know I have struggles and, you know, impatience or ungratified desires or whatever it is, and I think, ah, oh, it's okay because God's still at work in me. But when I look at somebody else, I think, man, you gotta, you gotta get out of that rut. I see the problem, let's fix that problem. And the same amount of grace that's extended to me, I don't extend to others. And I wish there was some big, huge banners that we could put in our church building. It talks about something about loving God and loving others. That would be awesome if we could find a place to put them that would remind us all the time that this isn't about me. This isn't about what I feel about myself. This is about loving God first and then loving others second. And how do I love God? By loving others. And how does God know I love him? Because I love others. And I see them through his eyes. I wanna end with uh, one more quick little story. Um, I was on, uh, I, I commute a lot back and forth to Telluride because that's where a lot of the work is and stuff. And this last fall, there was quite a few bugs out. I don't know if you're aware that Colorado has a bug problem. <laughs> uh, in Ellensburg, where we're from, you get to choose between two types of weather, warm and windy and cold and windy. And you're like, oh, what does it say? Cold and windy? Right on. Let's get on a roof. 
But so I was driving back from Grand Junction or something like that, and it was almost comical how many bugs were hitting my windows. It was a good harvest that day. They were everywhere, coated, and it was, I, you know, driving away from the sun, it wasn't a big deal. I had my lights on and could see pretty well. Um, and so I turned the truck off, went in, ate some dinner, and went to bed, and I got up the next morning and had to go to Telluride, and it wasn't light yet, and I was reminded when I got into the truck, man, my windshield's filthy. That's okay, I'll take care of it, you know, so I started my commute. And driving down 550, and the sun started to come up over the mountains, which is beautiful, except if your windshield's covered in bugs. And it became very, very dangerous at that point. I'm not kidding, it was like a carpet of protein on my windshield. And so I thought, no problemo, hit the wiper switch. But something about the way engineers have designed the windshield and the air vortexes and the wipers are just so that whenever you do that, the heaviest layer of smear will be right where you're trying to look. And it doesn't matter if you're tall or short, if you adjust your seat, it's magical. It'll be right in front of where you want to look out to drive down the road. And it was bad enough that when the sun came up, I had to stop where I was going and turn around and go back and clean my windshield because I was afraid I was going to actually hurt something. I wasn't going to see somebody pulling out or an animal crossing the road or something like that. And it struck me, have I been going through my life like that where my vision is so clouded that I'm damaging people, that it's unsafe for me to interact with people because of the vision that I have of them? I think there was some truth in that. And God's working on me. And I've got a team of crack experts right now out in the parking lot, coating all of your windshields with bugs. Big ones, June bugs, right where you're gonna look through. <laughs> Not really, that would have been good though. <laughs> but that's the point of it, is we cannot effectively minister to people if all we see is the dirt and the grime and the bugs in our view. And Satan's gonna insert that into your life all the time. And it's gonna happen in your family. It'll happen in your marriage. It'll happen with in-laws. Not with mine, of course. Are they still here? No, they went, they left. <laughs> It'll happen in marriage all over the place. And Satan, this roaring lion, all he wants to do is just redirect your vision just a little bit to where there's destruction and pain. And that's what we fight against not in the physical world, but in the spiritual world. So I gotta ask, who am I gonna choose to believe in all this? And who are you gonna choose to believe? Because all these heartbeats that we come in contact with, those are God's chosen people, created for a purpose, for such a time as this, to be alive right now today, to interact with you and I. And it's not by a mistake that Jesus puts them in your path. It's not a wind-up toy that he keeps winding when it starts to wobble. It's all on purpose, and we're all part of it. I'll, I'll end with this. If you're here today and you have never heard or never understood, or maybe Jesus has not delivered a message to you clearly that you are planned, that you are chosen, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God constructed you just the way he wanted for such a time as this, that he put you together to interact with these people here today, I'm here to tell you that he did and that you are chosen and that you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to hear the message of Christ. All that to say, if that's you, please do not leave this room today without getting some prayer from people and deciding that you're gonna follow Christ and not believe lies any longer. We'll sing this last worship song, but if you need prayer, please come up after the service.
thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.